How's everybody doing today? The sun is shining. Yeah, that's good, right? Um, yeah, that harvest thing tonight, you know, uh, there's lots of different ways you can watch it besides just like your computer or your uh, tablet. You can go right there and watch it on that, but you can also get it on your TV if you have, uh, uh, you know, some of these fancy little boxes that are out there now, like Apple TV and Chromecast and Roku and... Uh, there's a few other things. Dish, I think, is carrying it as well. So there's a lot of ways you can get it, and it's, uh, it starts around 6.30 or so, but it's Greg, and there's a lot of, a lot of great music and stuff that's going to be on that tonight. So if you, if you can get it some way, check it out. It's going to be great. Let's open our books to Jonah, chapter 3, please. Jonah, we saw last time in the beginning of chapter 3 that Jonah got a second chance, right? God wasn't through with him yet. And that's, that's kind of exciting to me that God, you know, he, he knows, you know, what he wants in our lives. And he will work in us and he'll help us get to the place that he wants and needs us to be. And God spoke to Jonah again. That's so exciting to me. God spoke to him again. He was running away from God. He, God got his attention in some radical ways, but he turned back to God, and God, God spoke to him again. And I, You know what? Do you say, well, does God still speak today? Yes, he does. Maybe not in the same way that he spoke to Jonah, but he speaks by his word. He speaks by his spirit. He speaks through different people. Has anybody ever felt like God had spoken to you through somebody? God is still speaking today, and, and you know, it's, it's really, and what we're going to look at today is really the direction that we're facing that makes all the difference in the world. The direction that we're facing makes all the difference in the world. God gives us new chances every single day, and Jonah turned back to God, and God gave him another chance. He said, go to Nineveh and give them my message, right? And, and look at verse 3 there. What does it say? Jonah obeyed the Lord... And went. Jonah obeyed the Lord and went. And now Nineveh was a very important city, and a visit required three days. So Jonah gets a second chance. God says, Go. And he obeyed and he went. That's a message all in itself. We talked about that, just being obedient to what God says for us to do. But he goes and he went and he goes and he went and he. What? Just because I don't know how to say words correctly, Barbara corrects me every single Sunday. Like, you don't use your propositions or prepositions or whatever it is, preposition H or whatever. I'm, I don't know what you're talking about. She, she goes on, and I just nod my head, and she just about gives up on me every week. Anyways, he went to this city called Nineveh, and it says here it was a huge city, a very important city, I should say, and huge because it required three days just to visit this whole place. Now Jonah, because he obeyed and went, he got to be really a part of what I believe was the greatest revival or awakening, depending on how you define those words, in history. Now, have there been more people that have been affected and turned to God in history? Yes, they have, but, but not so many as in one particular time. They all, there was over 120,000 people, it says in chapter 4, in the city of Nineveh. That's like the city of Providence, right? 
Every single person in the city of Providence turns to God at the same time. Can you imagine that? That's like what it was like. And so Jonah, he would have missed it because of his stubbornness. In fact, you know, it's something he didn't even want it to happen in the first place at all, right? We've already talked about that. We're going to get to that again in chapter 4. He's got this huge attitude. He obeyed and went, but he still had attitude. So that gives you and I hope, right? They say that that was probably the largest city of the then known world. This city of Nineveh. And he didn't want to go. It's like if God called you to go to New York City and you went there and the whole city turns to God. That's like incredible. But that's what happened. He would have missed it, right? Look at verse 4. It says, on the first day, Jonah started into the city and he proclaimed 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. This is what his message was. God said, I've got a message. Proclaim to it the message in verse 2 that I give you. And this was the message. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Now, was that an easy message that he was called to give? I don't think so. We, you know, we'll talk about this, but in English, in this version, it's eight words. In the Hebrew, it's actually only five words. Five words. Now, did he say anything else? We don't really know. But we know that he said these five words. Preach against it in chapter 1, it says, because its wickedness has come up before me. Say, wow. Again, we're talking about the greatest revival or awakening in all of history. And the message that he brought to them was 40 more days and this place is going to be destroyed. This place is going to be wiped out. Forty more days and judgment is going to come. That's not really what we want to hear, is it? It's, you know, there's a time factor on it, right? There's a 40 days in this particular instant that judgment is coming. There's time is running out, is what he's saying. You've only got 40 days. This is God's message. And, and you and I, we only want to hear the nice messages, right? Oh, God loves us so much. And does he love us so much? Yeah, of course he does. Oh, God just wants to make your life so happy and healthy. And God wants to just make you feel so good about yourself. Is that what what he's saying here now? It's like the opposite of that, isn't he? He says, you know what, you better stop feeling so good about yourself because you are in a bad direction and something's got to change here. 40 days is coming up quick. Wow. You see, God's love, I believe God's love is, is so real. God is love, the Bible tells us. But, but, you know, that's in the context of everything else that the Bible declares to us about who God is. That's in the context of where did we get, how did we get into this mess? Go back and read Genesis chapter 3. That sin came into the world and, and, and uh, things just went a very, very bad direction. And it's affected us ever since. And with sin came what? Death. And what's the, what's the ultimate destination? Now, don't use that H word. Don't say that. It's hell. There's a place, a literal place. And say, well, you don't usually preach like this 
whatever you call me. You know, but this is the context of the, of the love of God. I, I, I don't think that unless we know, you know, the whole context, God's love doesn't really make, it doesn't make any sense. God's love isn't magnified because we don't know the context that it comes to us in. You see? The fact of the matter is, is you and I are, we are sinners. We are on our way to hell. Okay? I said it. We are, are on our way to hell, but God provided a rescue. For us, God provided a way out for us. God's love rescues us, and that's why we, we quote John 3.16. It's the most familiar, most famous passage out of the Bible, right? Most of you know it already. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We like that first part, God so loved the world, but let's not forget what the rest of it says, is that without Jesus in our lives, we're going to perish. That's the message that Jonah brought to, to Nineveh. You, you're going to perish. Forty more days perishing. You, you're going to be overturned. You're going to be blown up. This place is, is not going to make it. Again, the big context of the love of God is that, that God is holy. And, and sin can't exist in his presence we can't as as sinful human beings you and i can't just go to heaven we can't can you imagine standing in heaven right now the way you are and say god i'm here and he's gonna go really uh get out of here because i'm holy and you're not you see but 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 the father sent his son jesus that he would pay the price for you and i and that he would make us clean and wash us, that we would be His holiness in us. He offers us the forgiveness and mercy to those who are willing to turn to Him. See, that's what John 3.16 says. Whoever believes in Him shall not perish. Paul said in Timothy, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You see, the Bible makes it so clear that God doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want that. That's not his desire for you and for me. He wants us to turn to him and be saved, be rescued. But getting back to this 40-day thing, you know, if God gave us 40 days, what would we do? If God said to you personally, you got 40 days, what would you do? What would you change in your life? Is there anything you do or change? Or would you just say, well... Would we truly turn to him as a nation if we knew we only had 40 days? Would we turn to him as individuals if we knew we only had 40 days to get, to get right? It's a big question, you know. I want you to turn uh, back with me to the book of Jeremiah, uh, chapter 18. And we, we kind of get a little more of the, of the picture of who God is and, and his response, really. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 7, it says, <clears throat> if, a, if at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent, and I'll not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if, it, if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planned, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I intended 
to do for it. You see, God responds to us in a sense. If that nation repents, he says, I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster. That's what we see happens here in the book of Jonah. They turned to him. Now, I really want to give you some definition of this word repent because people kind of think of it as a, it's like a hard word or it's a bad word and we don't want to talk about repentance. But you know what? I have a completely different view. I think it's a very good, positive word. I really do. Because what it is, it's a turning, it's, it's a turning to God. You see, it's a change of direction, a change of heart and mind away from turning away from Him and turning towards Him. That's really what it is. And how can that be bad, turning to God? How can that be a bad thing, you see? It's how we end up in the place where we need to change our direction. That's not so good. That's, that's the bad part. The bad part is that we turn away from him. The good part is that we turn back to him, you see. We turn back to him, but it includes humility. It includes brokenness. That's what we see here in the book of Jonah. That's what we see over and over in the scriptures. I want to read to you a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says this, fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. And this process of surrender, this movement, full speed astern, change completely direction, is what Christians call repentance. Now, repentance is no fun at all. It is something much harder than merely eating humble pie It means unlearning all the self-conceit and self-will that we have been training ourselves into for thousands of years. There's something about this idea of repentance. It, It isn't necessarily easy. And it may hurt, but it's still the good thing. It's the right thing. It's the best thing, really, for you and for me to turn. Does that mean just saying, I'm sorry? It's part of it, though, right? You know, when you're having a fight with somebody, God forbid that you ever do. And you, and you see with young kids, when you're trying to raise young kids, right, and you teach them, it's extremely hard to say, I'm sorry. Why is that? Why is it so hard to say? <laughs> you can't, like, get the words out, you know. And, and it starts when there's a kid, you know, you, I've seen it, you know. You have to, like... For 10 minutes, work with them until they finally get those words out. It starts when we're young. It's like part of who we are. It's that self that that C.S. Lewis was talking about, the the self-conceit and self-will that we have in us. But you know what? That's just the beginning. When we say, God, I'm sorry, we turn to him. Say, I'm sorry. And I, I turn away and I turn towards you. You see, have your way. And then it's a a surrendering to him, letting him do what he wants to do in me. That's part of, that's that's all part of what this word repentance really is. Not just saying I'm sorry, though. Saying I'm sorry is a good start. Don't get me wrong. I think we need to practice it. Let's all just say it out loud one time, just to see how really easy it is. Say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
See, it's not that hard. I think one of the reasons that, you know, that my wife and I have been married so long is that she's prepared to say I'm sorry very quickly. <laughs> what are you laughing about? <laughs> Uh-oh, she's in here. I didn't see her. But truthfully, it's that we're both willing to say I'm sorry and get to that place quickly. That we're not going to stubbornly just fight it out for, you know, and be isolated from each other for a day or for a, a week and God forbid a month. I've heard of that kind of thing where we can just, you know, I'm not going to say I'm sorry. He did it. She did it. You see, but the, the, the quicker we are to get to that place where we're willing to lay it down and say, you know, I'm sorry. I, I definitely had a part in it. It wasn't a big part, but I had a part in it. <laughs> and then we, can, then we can make progress, but see, you're facing each other that way. And it's the same with turning to God. You're facing Him, you see. That's what it's all about. That's what repentance is, is turn to face Him. And how can that possibly be bad, Right? To turn and face him. Look what it says in verse uh, 5. The Ninevites, they believed God. Oop, I want to get this first. I, I skipped this. John the Baptist, when he came, he said, he used the word. I like John the Baptist. He was cool, right? He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Uh, I like this guy. Uh, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, right? Uh, this guy's okay. Repent then and turn to God. You see, he explains it for us. So that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. How good is that? How good is that? Our sins are wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. It's when we're turned away from him that we're not having that refreshment, refreshing in our lives and hearts, you see. Anyways, the next thing is that the Ninevites, look at verse 5, if you would, please, back to Jonah. And turn back there yet. Jonah chapter 3, verse 5, it says, The Ninevites, they believed God, and they declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. You see, they took God at his word, and they believed him. What did they believe? They believed the message Jonah brought, that, that God said, 40 more days. They believed that God would do what he said. There's something about the fear of God in this, right? That, hey, God is way bigger than us. And if that's what God says he's going to do, well, we better you know, think about it. If God says that those who reject him will spend an eternity apart from him, well, we better think about it. God is going to do what he said he's going to do. He made promises, right? We don't always keep our promises, but God keeps his promises. But it says they declared a fast and they humbled themselves, really, is what happened here. They declared a fast and they put on sackcloth. I was going to wear my sackcloth today, but it wasn't clean. Fasting, really, what, what is fasting? Fasting is putting aside food so that you can turn to Him and seek Him. That's, what fa that's all fasting is. You put aside the things that, that you want to do and turn towards Him and, and, and seek His face. 
Sackcloth is just kind of a way of humbling oneself. It's a very coarse cloth. Mourners would wear it. It's just rough. It's just like, again, trying to deny the flesh so that you might seek after God. That's all it is. But what this really is, it's an attitude of heart, you see. It's an attitude of heart. In the book of Nehemiah, it says that they gather together fasting and wearing sackcloth and having dust on their heads. They were humbling themselves before God. Again, this definition of repentance includes brokenness and humility. We can't rush into God's presence and say, you, you, know, you know who I am, right? I mean, we see that enough in the political world, and I'm not going there. Trust me. But we see all this posturing and we see all this stuff. You know what? There's no place for that before the Almighty God. You and I need to humble ourselves and say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. It says it in Daniel. I like this. In Daniel, it says, uh, the angel spoke to Daniel. Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. See, God responds and God responded to Daniel. Look at verse 6, Jonah chapter 3. It says, When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, he covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. The king... He humbled himself. He got down off his throne. He realized there's a bigger king than me. You know, when you read, I'm reading through the book of Matthew and my, my personal reading, and you know, you see it over and over. It talks about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And really, and, and that's what we read there, what Jesus said and, and what John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near is where God rules and reigns. Or he's the king. So this king, he got down, and it gets, it gets to us individually as well. They talked about the whole city, but now it gets to this one individual, this one man, and he humbles himself. He gets down off his throne, takes off his royal robes, and, and sets, sat down in the dust. You know, I had to think about this. Of course, that applies to every one of us as well, but can you imagine our leaders in our country doing this? Wow. Besides the fact that it might be illegal, right? You're going to hear, you get some leaders to do that, they're going to, somebody's going to cry foul. Right? What happened? I don't see it happening anyway, so there's not much to worry about. But, but our nation, you know, there have been times in our nation where our leaders said, we need to stop and pray. Not just as some kind of, uh, you know, religious exercise, but a, a humbling of ourselves before the Almighty God. And that's, that's what happened here, you see. That's what happened in Nineveh. That's why such a radical thing took place, because they did that. And the king himself, this leader, he set an example, you see. In the book of 2 Chronicles, King Jehoshaphat, it says that he resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah 
And the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. We see that happening here as well with this king. One more thing about America. You know, we are happy and quick to say, God bless America. Versus repentance and humbling ourselves and saying, God have mercy on America. I think that's really where we need to be. Starts with us personally, of course. But let's not say, God bless America. We need to say, God have mercy on America. God has already blessed America. We've turned away from Him. We've turned away from His blessings. That's my personal opinion. So this uh, king, now he made this proclamation, right? Look at verses 7 and 8. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Man, that's a decree of the king. You don't hear that on the TV set, do you? Let's fast. Let's humble ourselves. Let's pray. Let's call urgently on God. Let's turn from our evil ways. Who knows? In other words, we we don't go in and demand what God is going to do. But who knows? He says, God may yet turn and, and relent from that destruction that's coming. In what? In response to our repentance and in response to our turning towards Him. We know these verses, right? I'm just going to read them quickly to you. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. We know this, but have we ever really done this? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, what? Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You see it over and over in the Bible and in Isaiah 55, let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will freely pardon. You see, God is just waiting for us to turn to him. That's that's what he responds to. Apart from him, you and I are lost. You and I are heading for judgment. It's just the way that it is. But when we turn to him, we turn to what he's offered to us, the freedom and the grace and the mercy. That's where we have hope. That's where we have hope, you and I, when we humble ourselves and turn towards him. Says it in Joel, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and he is compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Look at verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had what? Compassion. And he did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. He spared them. He had compassion on them. Why? Because he saw their turning. He saw what they did and how they turned 
They saw, he saw their humility. They came broken before him. You know, none, none of us likes to be broken, but you know, there's something about being broken before God that we need to learn, really, to be broken before him. You see, because it's his desire, it's his desire to save us, to rescue us, to do something with us, to, to give us those times of refreshing when we turn to him. Peter said it again. We read it earlier that he said that to repent and turn to God. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, but he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's what his heart is. He wants to be restored with, with you and with I, but he can't do it for us. We have to make a choice to turn to him. It's a, it's a choice that you and I make to turn to him. These people of Nineveh, they had choices to make. They made a choice, you know what? We believe God that, that he's going to do that. We're going to humble ourselves. We're gonna, they fell on their faces before God. They prayed. They, they sought him ur, urgently. Whoever believes in him will not perish. We already saw that. God doesn't want anyone to perish. James chapter 4. Oops. We'll do that. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And this is the part I want you to see. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. God wants us to turn to him, but we need to humble ourselves. We need to come in humility and brokenness. The exciting thing is this. Are you ready for this? I've got a lot of verses about this today because the subject is all throughout the whole Bible. And I had, to, I had to cut it way back. But look at this. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So, so when we turn to him and we repent, we turn to him in humility. It's like that there's a party going on in heaven. Like that's crazy, right? Over one over one person who says, you know what, I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to turn to you, God. I'm going to turn to you, Jesus. And, and, and I, I'm just a sinner. I'm lost. I need, to, I need to give you my life and my heart. Over one, it says the angels of God, they're just like going nuts. Well, it doesn't say that. But they're rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner. So the big picture here, Nineveh, you know, this revival, uh, you know, signs of true revival are, are what it says here. They believed God and they humbled themselves. This is, what, this is a sign of what true revival, when you study about revivals or awakenings, again, how you want to define the word, and I'm not going to get into all that, but, but these times in history where radical things have taken place, those, those are always a hallmark of it, that there was that there was a faith, that they, they looked to God and that they humbled themselves. There was this spirit of repentance, of brokenness before him. Jonah almost missed it, right? And you and I, we can miss it. We could miss it. We don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss true revival in my life. And the path to that revival in my own life is repentance, is 
falling before him, humbling myself before him, drawing nearer to him, turning towards him. That's a good thing, right? It's a good thing. And what comes out of it is, is also very, very good revival. Call urgently on him. You know, you and I, we're just people. But when something, ha something happens like this and God's spirit gets a hold of us and, and helps us to turn to him, radical things take place. And that's what I want in my life. How many times do you need to humble yourself before God? I think every day, honestly, yeah. It's not a one-time thing. Well, I did that once. I'm all set. Man, that's a pride right there. God, I'm on my own now. I think every day for us to say, God, I want you to be the king. I want you to be the king in my life today. The king of my heart today. Tough message. But you know what? The greatest incredible thing came out of it. And I think for you and I, it's tough maybe because we got that self-will and that self-conceit and we're not willing to say I'm sorry or, or humble ourselves. But he responds to it and he pours out his love and grace and blessing and mercy and all the stuff that he has for us. We'll just do it. Every knee. One day, one day the, the scary thing is that one day we all will. But there's a big difference if we do it before we stand before him. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Much better do it now, though. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's, let's uh, pray. Father in heaven, we look to you, and we, uh, we humble ourselves before you, Lord. We're, uh, we're really kind of rotten in the core. I don't care what the world tells us, that we're all cool, and, and uh, just dig deep, and you'll find something good in there, Lord. We, we're just sinners, and we need... We need to be forgiven and have our sins wiped out and that we might have that refreshing that comes from the Lord. So we turn to you, Lord. We turn away from our ways today and, and, and right here and right now. We turn to you. We humble ourselves. We, we, we bow the knee of our, in our hearts, Lord, to you right here and right now, Lord. We, uh, we confess, Lord, our sins. We confess that we have we've blown it. And as we read last week, Lord, you're, you're faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we come and ask you for forgiveness. Father, I, I, I just pray you'd work in each one of our lives. You would revive us, Lord. We, we, as we turn to you, you'd revive us and, and, uh, and pour out your blessings upon us, Lord. Father, we do pray for uh, our country, God, that you would have mercy on our country. We pray that even in these days and weeks to come, Lord, you'd have mercy on us, Lord, and, and, uh, and raise uh, up what you want to raise up in this country, God. But only as we lower ourselves and humble ourselves before you. Let it begin with me, Lord. Let it begin with each one of us, Lord, as we humble ourselves before you. I want to pray too, Lord, for any here in this room who have never made that step of calling on the name of Jesus. And, and maybe there's one or two or more here today that need to take that step and say, okay, I'm done. I give up. 
And for you, if that's you today, you, you, you simply just cry out to him, call upon his name. He died for you. He died for your sins to wipe them out. He was buried. He rose from the dead for you to defeat death. And, and all you have to do is turn to him and call upon his name. And say, Jesus, I want you in my life. Please come into my life. Father, I, I know that you'll hear those cries and you'll hear every single one of those prayers, Lord, of any that would do that. You did it for us. You did it for me. Father, help us today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together, shall we?